today's episode, we're discussing our thoughts on the Facebook whistleblower testimony. Hey everyone, welcome to the Papa Ifatike podcast, the podcast for dads by dads. So last week we discussed online safety after having seen an article that said that 80% of parents think technology has made parenting more difficult and causes kids to grow up faster. And so last week we talked about our own our own online safety plan. And you know, with all the attention around Facebook recently, we thought it would be a good extension of that discussion to talk about the whistleblower testimony uh, for Facebook. And and today we're going to be doing just that. Uh, but before we get into that, my here's my deal. I'm Dave. I have an eight year old daughter and a five year old son. I'm Jim. I've got two daughters, five and eight. So I'm going to start off with just a few of the highlights of the report. I think that'll ground a lot of this conversation. It's it's pretty dense, but but bear with us here. Uh, the first thing is that uh, so this is all data from uh, Frances Hagen. I think is how you pronounce her last name, and she worked at Facebook. She was in the Civic Integrity Division, and so this is basically from that testimony. So starting already in 2019, there was an internal presentation where they said quote from the slide, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. A year later, in March of 2020, internal presentation goes out that says 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Other quotes from these reports, teens blame Instagram for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. This reaction was unprompted and consistent across all groups. Aspects of Instagram exacerbate each other to create a perfect storm. Pressure to share only the best moments and to look perfect can pitch teenagers into depression, low self-esteem, and eating disorders. Other research found that among users who reported suicidal thoughts, 13% in the UK and 6% in the US traced them back to Instagram. Another survey found that more than 40% of Instagram users who reported feeling, quote, unattractive said the feeling began on the app and about a quarter of the teenagers who reported feeling quote not good enough said it started on instagram Uh, one study of teens in the us and uk and it's unclear if this is the same study still but uh, said quote teens told us they don't like the amount of time they spend on the app but feel like they have to be present they often feel addicted and know that what they're seeing is bad for their mental health but feel unable to stop themselves and lest you think this is only a problem with young girls, 14% of boys in the U.S. said Instagram made them feel worse about themselves. And Facebook researchers also found that 40% of teen boys experienced so, uh, negative social comparison. Right, So they've got all this data. And so the conclusion that they came to was that the problems most or some of the problems were specific to Instagram and not necessarily related to social media more broadly. And that's especially true concerning the so-called social comparison, which is when people assess their own value in relation to the attractiveness, wealth, and success of others. And they also found, or their also conclusion was that social comparison is worse on Instagram uh, than on, uh, sorry, worse on Instagram than on other platforms. You know, TikTok is grounded, they said, in performance while Snapchat was focused on the face because they have all the filters, right? And that's all in contrast to Instagram, which focuses very heavily on the body and on the lifestyle. A few more points here. You know, the fallout of all of this is that uh, Instagram had been working on a product or Facebook had been working on an Instagram product that was tailored to kids under the age of 13. And I think 
obviously because of all of the the news that they've had recently that they've basically said all right well we'll you know we'll pause that for now you know in response to all of this information the spokesperson for five rights foundation said that in pursuit of these comp- in pursuit of these in pursuit of profit sorry these companies are stealing children's time self-esteem and mental health and sometimes tragically their lives this is an entirely human-made world largely privately owned designed to optimize for commercial purposes and it does not have to be like this it's time to optimize for the safety rights and well-being of kids first and then only then profit and then one last thing right so while this is really focused on facebook i did want to bring up some other information that we're seeing about other platforms right so TikTok specifically the guardian was sort of looking at how the algorithms work and they engage with diet content and in less than 24 hours they went into full-blown eating disorder promotion so they started with you know just a popular hashtag what i eat in a day and that led them down a path of hashtag keto diet videos and then they eventually ended up in hashtag i will be skinny and hashtag thinspo and thinspo is the thinspiration hashtag uh, Bridget Todd, who is a spokesperson for Ultraviolet, which is a women's advocacy group, said TikTok's use of augmented reality camera filters can also contribute negatively to body image, and especially for young girls. And you know, TikTok has dozens of beauty filters that let young girls change their skin, their face shape, their body shape, and more. Right. So, yes, there obviously is this huge amount of data that we're getting out of Facebook, but it doesn't sound like this is necessarily entirely facebook specific so you know i just threw a ton of stuff out there and let's take a breath here and and jim why don't you chime in chime in and just talk a little bit about your thoughts on all this stuff it's really overwhelming i mean what you've just described and all those points that you hear it all at once is just like what a dystopia you know it's uh you know i don't so as a as a qualifier i'm not active on social media i since the very beginning of the internet for whatever reason i've just wanted to keep a very low social uh, online profile and so I do have a Facebook account but it's strictly because I needed it to run some ads for a project that I was working on I, I've never I have no idea what my homepage looks like I have no idea what what that all looks like so I don't I don't and from the very beginning I did not Facebook just seemed weird to me and, and for a while I was the weirdo you know are you on Facebook no and everyone thought that was really weird and they were peer pressuring me to get on I was like no I'm just not interested and I feel somewhat vindicated at this point. <laughs> I think that was, that was the right move. But anyhow, I, so I can't speak from, from personal experience. I do have, uh, you know, I, I'm somewhat active on Twitter. Uh, and what, you know, last episode we talked about safety and sort of the addictive qualities of, of online media. And I could say, you know, I've got a timer set for my, uh, for my Twitter usage. And, and, you know, when that timer goes off, it's like it, it's like it breaks its spell. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I've just been kind of in a trance. And, you know, I've just been, you know, I've killed 20 minutes just, you know, doom scrolling or whatever it is. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that social media and this sort of online forum, this online place that we've built as a as a society is um, it's pervasive and it's weird. And I mean, this this last um, this last quote that you had from uh, the um, yeah, largely privately owned designed to optimize for commercial purposes and it's stealing you know our time and our, our children's time I guess it children's time self-esteem and mental health um, and tragically their lives I mean that's that's hard to stomach and to know that that sort of you know it's not even a cesspool I'm not even sure what it is 
it's a whole other paradigm of, of being that um, that I can't imagine another parallel in human history. You know, they talk about, um, you know, you read about the television and radio and even the early internet when it was just kind of the, the, the websites and the infrastructure and how that changed. I mean, this is this is unprecedented. And it's a it's scary to think that we are in that generation that has been part of this huge social experiment and we don't know what the consequences are, but now we're learning. Mm-hmm. And so it's frightening to think that we're throwing our children into that that sort of that sort of environment. And, you know, just this has been kind of a theme in thinking about this is uh, like what if we were talking about smoking, right? That, um, you know, uh, we, we, are we going to when are we going to let our kids smoke? Right. Mm-hmm. They want they they're going to do you know, they're going to do it anyway. All their friends are doing it. Uh, but we know that it's a risk that it's going to kill them or it's going to be bad for their mental or their, their um, intellectual development. I mean, what? how do we do that? How do we say, all right, you, if you're going to smoke anyway, you got to smoke at home, right? Or you can only smoke four cigarettes a day. Like, how, it's If you make that parallel as far as some sort of product or service that has these detrimental effects, how do you put guardrails around that? And I, and I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think for me... This is what we were talking about before, right? The the headlines don't do the story justice when you start sort of getting into the actual data that was coming out of this story. And for me, a lot of it goes back to just how much we as parents need to prepare our kids to understand what they're seeing, right? So yeah, that influencer has you know, a million followers, but you're just seeing their best life. You're not seeing their bad days. You're not seeing, you know, the, the days where they, they just want to give it up or you're not seeing, you know, sometimes the hate that's getting thrown their way. I mean, maybe you see a little bit of it, but it's uh, certainly very different when it's a, you know, per, when you're the, the content creator and it's targeting you. So, you know, I think that's the thing is that it's, it's so hard for them to understand that there's all this stuff that happens, you know, behind the camera, if you will, and, and I think that that's probably, you know, our job to sort of educate them on that. And, and you know, we we're talking about this before that it, it feels to me like the next sort of five years ish. Right. So if we assume that they can't get online till at least they're 13 and, and based on where they are in their ages now, that these next few years are our opportunity to start slowly broaching that subject, because, you know, once they get on, it's. I mean, you can't monitor them. Like you can say, yes, create your account, but you need to, you know, you need to friend me and so I can see what's going on. But of course, they're just going to make the shadow account, right? So that you don't know what's going on anyway. So I think that it feels to me probably like once the decision is made to say, okay, you can have an account that you have to be ready for them to go from zero to 60. And, you know, as that Guardian piece pointed out where they just started, a, you know, looking at some high level dieting stuff and they ended up in these really... Uh, you know, negative spaces that our kids will have to be prepared for that. And so as much as we can do to let them know that you're only seeing the sunny days, you're not seeing the true picture. And how many of us are, have sunny days a hundred percent of the time, right? It's just not, it's not reality. And so you have to understand that within the context, which again, is hard for a, a 13 year old or a 14 year old to understand at that point in time. And I think that's you know that's probably the way that I'm going to go, but yeah, it, it this is this is pretty scary, and it, it clearly doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl. That you know both genders uh, seem to be 
affected in a negative way. And again, this is look. This is not to say that everybody who's on on Instagram is going to have problems, right? We I do want to caveat that, but there's clearly are some issues that that uh, some people are having, and you're not going to know if your kid's going to be one of those kids or not. I think until you get there, right? And, and you just kind of see how it goes. Not every smoker gets lung cancer, right? Yeah. So you know how how do you think that you're going to prepare your your daughters for this again we've got a few years certainly for your youngest we've got some time but you know with all the stuff that we just heard coming out of this what do you, how do you even do this so what's been coming to mind is uh i had a roommate that was involved in myspace and so we you know our computers were nearby near each other and um and i'd see them get so worked up in these like flame wars and have these like online spats and just get really invested in it really upset and emotional and like honest rage and from my perspective i was seeing this guy just staring at a glowing screen driving himself nuts and and that that sort of disconnect was uh, i mean that the image really stayed with me and that whatever 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 experience that guy was having was entirely within his own head, you know? I mean, in, in some cases, uh, you know, like, hey, look at this email, read this email, and, you know, you read it in sort of a bitchy voice and it sounds awful. Do you read it in, like, a normal voice or, like, a Mickey Mouse voice? You're like, that's totally fine, you know? You're just interpreting it through a certain lens that ends up causing these problems. So, and I think that, I think that the lesson, or what I want to, or what I want to teach is that fundamentally what they're seeing on the screen is not real. It's just not. You know, and it's uh, it's entertainment, and the the entertainment, the entertainers, the people on the screen, you know, they may be friends and family, but it's just entertainment. And mm-hmm. you think about trying to keep up with the Joneses, that's fine, because you just got the Joneses, right? You just got the people next door and across the street. But now you're talking about the entire global community, and how do you compare yourself to the Joneses that are an entire global community? You just you just can't. Mm-hmm. And one of the phrases that comes to mind is, um, you can't judge your insides by somebody else's outsides. Right. It's really somebody who looks really slick and they got it all together. And you never know. You don't know what's going on at home. You don't know what they feel like inside. You know, I mean, tragically, think of something like like Anthony Bourdain. You know, you think that guy had everything. You would never know. You know, insides and outsides are very different. And insides and outsides through a screen and through, you know, your own filters, I think, really makes it fantasy. That it's it's strictly something that is just not real. And even we think it's real because we know those people, we know those places and we have visited that. And, you know, it seems connected in, in reality, but I, I think fundamentally it's just fantasy. And if I could, if I could instill that sort of perspective, you know, maybe they get a chance. You know, you make me think of something that was not specifically called out in the data, but I wonder if there is a difference between how kids look at, say, an influencer versus how they view their own sphere of friends or people that they actually come into contact right with like so at a bigger you know at a big high school where you're like okay that kid has you know um seems to be living the charmed life right i wonder is it is it worse to see the influencer with the charmed life or the kid that's in the high school that you might know that has the charmed life because you think well that person is uh like the the person that you could actually sort of feel and touch because they're tangentially in your circle is that more damaging right versus the person that you you'll never meet in real life and i wonder how that affects kids because 
right? It's not just jumping online to, to follow the influencers. It's also jumping online to engage with your friends or your frenemies or friends of friends, right? Online. And I'm, I, I would be interested to see again, if they're, which one of those two scenarios is, is potentially worse for our kids thinking that, oh, all of my friends have perfect lives except for me. Well, I try to think of what it would be like or what it was like prior to this sort of social media paradigm. And I think it would be, um, it's hard to speak to my own experience, but let's say the, the, the really popular guy, right? Quarterback, the football team had the slick Camaro or whatever it is, you know, had the nice car. And then for me, it's the same thing. It's the, you know, it's the Joneses. Maybe there's only one or two guys in, in my high school that maybe I'm, I'm envious of. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I can't speak my own experience, but I, I'm having a hard time drawing on that. But that's, those people are, those people are real and tangible. I've got classes with them, you know, I right. know them or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like something to aspire to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the influencers and the online stuff, those feel aspirational. It feels like, why not me? You know, mm-hmm. which is a different way of approaching that sort of envy or, or comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think that the way that we're going to tackle things, at least, you know, standing where I am today is like I said, we'll probably like you. I think it's a function of teaching the kids that it's not, you know, what they're seeing is not real. Like you point out. Right. And there, there have been a few, uh, influencers that have done things like that, right? Where they're like, look, this is this is fake. I'll show you how I make this image look the way I do. Here are all the filters that I apply. This is what it looked like really. Or, you know, this is what my body looked like five minutes before I took this picture, just so you know. So I, I think there have been, but you know, the only reason we know about that is I think because it's so rare that people go, oh, look what this influencer did. They sort of took us behind the curtain. I think that's maybe the problem with it is because it is so rare, it you know becomes a news story that somebody actually showed their real lives behind the curtain. And so it is that sort of understanding the real and the not real. And I think the other thing too is going to be like, how, to un- how do you navigate also like the commenting space where, as you point out, right, things can get pretty heated. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that in Israel, uh, kids, there seems to be a government type, like an educational program that says, okay, hey, at a certain age, we're all going to, you are going to learn about how to, you know, be online, like what it means to be a good digital citizen and what it means to be on social media and all that stuff. And it, it's something that feels like, you know, uh, uh, something that's missing in our own education system, right? Along with, say, financial literacy. And I wonder if, you know, how many schools are actually teaching kids how to go online? Because I, I mean, that personally as an adult, like that would be helpful for me if somebody had a, an expertise to say, okay, these are the things to watch out for. I mean, yes, we can do the research, but it, I think it's not quite the same as being able to get it in a school environment. Um, and, you know, my guess is that there certainly are schools in the U.S. that do have classes on it. I'm actually curious now to see if mine does. I'll probably ask somebody um you know come monday i'll find somebody hey you know is there a class like this at school or just a i don't know just like a one hour session or something but i I do feel like this is primarily a an educational piece but what what i think is also disturbing about this is there was that bit of information where the kid said i know what i am seeing is damaging to me 
yet I'm still not able to disconnect, right? That to mm-hmm. me was one of the mm-hmm. most damaging things that was said in the testimony that the kids understood full well that this was not healthy for them. And for whatever reason, they couldn't stop it. And It's like a self-abuse. Yeah, but I, you know, I, and it feels like probably a lot of it is, is going to be the FOMO thing, right? Like, well, all my friends are on it. I can't be, I know it's, I know it's bad for me, but I can't be the one kid that doesn't know what's going on when I get to school on Monday because everybody was sharing their weekend online or whatever it is. You know, I, I think that that's the thing too, is that there is something about the network effects and, and the pressure of being where everybody else is when you're a kid. But I think the only way to combat all this stuff is is education. I mean, yes, we absolutely can try and lock them down, but I'm not clear that that's helpful either because if you lock them down when they finally, what if you're, well, first of all, are you gonna lock them down until they're 18? That's not realistic, right? But then when they go off to college, the first thing they do is they're gonna download whatever app and they're gonna get on there. And do you really want their first experience to be at 18? when I think the stakes can be even higher, right? Like you could make even more mistakes at 18. It feels like, you know, that's not necessarily the, way, the right way to go either. And I, I just feel like it's it's really a function of you have to trust the kids and you have to give them the tools to be okay. And again, even with those tools, clearly not everyone's going to be okay, but I'm not clear, you know, how you get around it otherwise. You know, it's interesting thing, interesting comment about Israel, and uh, I mean they must got they must have something figured out. There's a, this was a while ago, and it may be different now, but I remember reading that the Israeli military, particularly the special forces, wouldn't uh, wouldn't enroll anybody or wouldn't recruit anybody that had grown up playing online first person role playing games. Oh, uh-huh. I don't know if you heard that or read about that, but it's it, and the reason was that whoever, if they've grown up doing that, then then in some way their mind is unhinged because they've lived in a fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean that may have, I think that was twenty years ago. That may have changed, but uh, I mean I don't know. Maybe that's a good place to look for for some guidance as far as how to approach this. Mm-hmm. Do you? Okay, so so now that this article has come out, right? So, in the in the time span of like the the pre article and the post, do you now think differently about having your kids join social media, or sort of were you always on the side of like, well, I'm not clear that I'm really super cool with this anyway? Yeah, I'm not really super cool with it, and I don't. You know, and I were talking earlier. I don't have a strategy, and I haven't really thought on this because it just seems. It seems so. It it it's not something that I want my kids doing, but I don't have any. I'd like to think that I have some control over that, but I really don't. And like you said, you can't lock them out. It's a, as with anything. I mean, it, a lot of this I try to think of some sort of analogies or some sort of similar situation, and it's hard to. I mean, with the FOMO thing you were saying, uh, you know, I had some friends of mine in high school that didn't have TV at home, mm-hmm. and they were perfectly normal, healthy right. kids, and they there was some FOMO in that. You know, hey, did you watch Dukes of Hazard over the weekend or whatever? And you know, did you watch the TV show last night? Some conversation that kids would have, and they'd be excluded from that. But it didn't really seem to make a difference. But I think that the, because there's so much, but that's just broadcast media. You know, it's different to have the sort of interaction and to think that all my friends are online talking about me. You know, or they're talking about something else, and I'm excluded. And you know, there's going to be inside jokes and things like that. It's that's hard. I mean, it's not only FOMO, but that is going to be part of the social fabric that they're going to be growing up with and that they're going to have. Um, 
you know, and again, I go back to the smoking example. Like if there's, if there's a product that at a, you know, a one in a hundred chance is going to lead my child to suicide, like what, how, how could I justify that? How could I say, well, all their friends are doing it, right? And so it's such a small risk, you know, or just the fact that, you know, one out of three end up just feeling lousy about themselves. Is that, is that something that I want to, uh, that I would responsibly let my kid do? So I don't know. I mean, I think the difference between the education and, you know, knowing about these things is in talking about these, you, you and I are, is figuring out a strategy. And I don't have one and I need to figure it out. Yeah, I, I don't either. Right. And I, I think that I also reflected back on, yeah, the, the kids who I mean, when I grew up, I didn't have cable. And so I was that kid that like couldn't watch a few of the shows. And I'm like, I don't I have no idea what you guys are talking about. But you know, your point is absolutely valid, right? It, that not knowing what TV show people are talking about is totally different than, you know, what they're doing now, right? Which is the ability to continue to socialize when they're apart. And, you know, for us, it would have been, you know, you'd pick up the phone and, you know, call. And that's not that's not what they're doing, right? They're texting, they're on social, whatever. And so I think that's the, the challenge is, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you are losing part of this this social piece of your life and and at that age that is a component of growing up right that's it's navigating all that stuff but it's also making those relationships and um i think that it would be very hard to tell our children you can't be on it when everybody else is on it and all this stuff's going on but yeah at the same time knowing full well what we know how do you take that risk and I guess I guess part of it is it to me is is, is is sort of the groundwork that we lay now right which is to say how strong is our relationship with our kids so that they you know one of the tools in their toolkit should be hey dad I realize I'm spending way too much time on this platform I think it might be you know like I need some help can you help me figure out what I need to do here because I can't you know, again, to those kids that are like, I, I know this is harmful, but I, I can't get away from it. You know, can we create a relationship with our kids where we can have those conversations and be open about it? And I guess some of that, though, is reactive, right? So that it's a function of, well, yes, they can come to us, but the damage has already been done, right? So you can sort of look at it in that way. But again, I think that if you, if you're not... It, if you assume that at some point they're going to get on with or without you, because I think that's the other thing too, is that even if you said you don't want your kid on, it doesn't mean they're not going to get on, right? Like if they have any device, I mean, really the only way to keep them locked out effectively would be to like buy a desktop and like stick it in the living room or the kitchen or some common area, right? That's kind of the only way. And even then, you know, the minute you step out, they're going to switch tabs and they're going to, you know, whatever when you're sleeping they're gonna wake up at like one in the morning create their account right it's like it's so when there's a will there's a way right and so i think the best we can do is arm them with the tools and i'm not quite clear yet what those tools are um but that's kind of what it feels like to me is that uh, it's just it's an issue of giving them support and letting them know what the dangers are so that hopefully they can go oh yeah i Yes, I started off in topic A and somehow within 24 hours I got to Z and I need to 
I need to get away from this. I either need to find a new topic or I need to shut this off or create a new account or whatever it is. But to give them, you know, the, the alert so that their spidey sense goes off and says, okay, I need to, I need to stop this because it's taking me down a dangerous path. I don't, as you said, I don't think there's any way to sort of physically or, you know, practically stop it. And again, thinking of other analogies, you know, what about, uh, what about doing drugs, you know, or, mm-hmm. or drinking, you know, underage drinking and that, you know, I don't want to say that, I think that the strategies that I've seen about that, that work are how to make it unappealing. Mm-hmm. And so there's some education there and there's also. Uh, you know, figuring out, focusing on the side effects and the negative consequences, as opposed to the euphoria and, and you know the sort of the fleetingness of um, of drinking and using, let's say. But but even that, but how do you do that without setting up uh, judgment, right? So all their friends are using it, and somehow we've indoctrinated this idea that it's bad. Does that mean their friends are doing something bad or doing something wrong? And it's a which is not, I mean, that's not something I'd like to do, but how do you draw that line between mm-hmm. education and, you know, I mean, we've got some things that we say, you know, that, that uh, we just say, we, we just don't do that in our family, which is great at this age, but it's harder at like 14 or 15 right. or 16, you know, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's not going to work. So mm-hmm. that's, I think you've got the right idea. It's about some education and, and giving them some strategies on how to manage their online usage. Yeah, and you know, I it, I guess one other point to make, right, is that while today we're talking about Facebook and Instagram, right, who, who's to say that those are around when our kids are old enough? But I think the point is that these type of social networks, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, like the, the model is built in a way that requires engagement, right? That when you are, when you have a social network that doesn't have any pay to play, and that effectively the business model is built on selling ads, right? That then the incentivized, you know, what they're incentivized to do is to keep you on the site as long as possible and to keep coming back as much as possible, right? So that addictive quality is built in to the business model. That is what they need to do to continue to exist as a business. And I think as long as that is the primary business model, whether it's, you know, again, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whoever, TikTok, that there will always be issues. There, it, it seems though, at least from Facebook's own internal workings, that the algorithm does contribute tremendously to that, right? So there are, I mean, even Facebook's own data suggests that not all of the social media platforms are as damaging as Facebook. However, I think there's always that, um, <laughs> like what a weird statement. Bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that there's the temptation will always be there when you are an ad, you know, when you're an ad heavy business model. The temptation will always be there to figure out how best to keep people on. And in, in most cases, the morality issue of whether or not these people should continue to be coming on and coming on as frequently as they are. I think will often fall by the wayside, when, you know, as it relates to well, do I pick the moral road or do I t- do I pick the business road that basically keeps my company continuing to survive, right? And I will say though, it's not always quite that binary, right? It's not always a function of, you know, I need to keep doing this or my business will shut down because clearly Facebook has enough money that they could choose to do something a little bit less and still exist, um, but you know, it would be in a different way. So. 
you know, I think that, again, while we're having this conversation now, my guess is our kids are not going to be on Instagram. That's not going to be the first thing they mm-hmm. sign up for. They're going to be mm-hmm. signing up for something else. But I, again, I do think that the underlying issue here will always exist. Yeah, I mean, who knows? This we talk about, uh, or I talk about this as as a dystopia. I mean, wait until it's all AI and augmented reality. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's something else. And I think the the tragedy of all this is that in order to maximize those clicks and to keep people online, is that it's it's fundamentally about manipulating neurotransmitters. Really, it's the dopamine hit, right? And it's figuring out how to manipulate someone's internal state for somebody else's ex- external benefit and that's what's really evil in, in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah I, I there there certainly is something insidious about the whole the whole thing right um, yeah well, well well this I think this is a conti- this is one of those sort of continuing parental conversations that we will have you know between here and the time they actually jump on i think this is going to be one of those things that will keep kind of coming back as we certainly see other kids jump on i mean you know we've talked about this a lot too that it's going to be the kids who have older siblings that are likely going to be the ones that go on first and our kids are going to get pulled along right when their best friend who or their friends who have you know a sibling that's three four five years older uh, when they jump on when they're the first one at 13 to jump on that social network and they're like that's the thing too about the social network it's it's only fun if there are other people there if you're like yeah, the right. first one on it's like <laughs> no it's social like a there. desert right yeah there's nobody there and so of course that first person is going to want to oh hey man you're 13 like come you know they're going to start actively trying to get people on board and um yeah it's clear that our kids will not be leaders in this space but i think that I'm hoping that we can at least be sort of in the back quartile of people that jump on. And I wonder actually if, if realistically though, practically, it, it will sort of net out that I wonder if people will literally be like, hey, it's my 13th birthday. I can finally, mm-hmm. you know, like the whole drinking thing, right? right. Like they're Going counting out down the days. Yeah. yeah, they're counting down the days and be like, yes, I can get my own account. And, you know, they're going to all wish me happy birthday the minute I open my account and stuff like that. And I... So I wonder if, if it literally will be the kids are just going to join up in the in their birth order, um, which I guess for our kids is, I think our kids are towards the middle of the pack in terms of how old mm-hmm. they are, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a good thing, but I, I am hoping that it, it'll be like, you know what, maybe it's going to be like a uh, the driver's license where like sixteen and a half you could where what is it fifteen and a half you get your learner's permit. Yeah. So maybe I'll say, well, instead of 13, it'll, you've got to wait till you're 13 and a half or 14. And maybe the learner's permit is a bunch of tests. Like, you've got to read these articles on the dangers of social media, and I'm going to give you a test, and you've got to pass it with 90% before I let you get on. And I mean, I, I, I would not be averse to try something crazy like that. We'll see how desperate I get when we get closer uh, to it. But, I mean, I'll, I'll be willing to try anything at that point, I think, because... Uh, it is a little concerning. Yeah, I mean, we. I should have done uh, some looking before we recorded this and see if there are strategies and you know workshops or classes or books or. I mean, there's. We're obviously not the first people to think about this, mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to know if somebody's got. Um, I don't know a program or something that, as you said, we can kind of train them ahead of time. I mean, there's got to be something. Yeah, and you know, there was a little bit of that in sort of last week's episode when we were talking about some of the um, 
the guidelines that their few organizations have. And it didn't feel like there were necessarily things specific to social media, but, but there are, were things like, you know, don't uh, give out any personal information. And uh, one of them in particular that was interesting was they were talking about when you're online gaming that don't let anybody steer the conversation away if you're doing you know if you're, if you're chatting don't let anybody steer the conversation away from the game itself because that can be you know the sort of the the segue into all sorts of other stuff that you don't realize you're giving up because it feels like like a friendly conversation and you're talking right. about a game and then oh yeah hey you know they tell this story and then the next thing you know you're given some super personal information or you're like yeah, you know, I live in New York or I live in Washington or and there, you know, and you had not at all meant to do that. And and so I think there is some level of um there are a few guidelines out there and it really is about being cautious about what and when and you know what people's motivations are. Um because a lot of times right the motivation seems um uh, you know just like a like a a comment like a, a non sequitur that's really innocent and it really wasn't it was meant to draw you down a different path mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I, I think that's where yeah there's just there's so much like the minute we it, it feels like it's a spigot and it, it the spigot just goes full on or full off mm -hmm. with all this stuff and it's you know again we're, we're coming closer to it than we want to be so I, I think at least though by having these conversations before the kids are ready you know, this to me is, is part of what this podcast is about is for us to just start talking about it and then we can sort of start thinking about it earlier on so that when when they get there, we're not caught by surprise. And if there was any sort of groundwork that we wanted to lay, that we would have done it in anticipation of getting to you know specific milestones, digital milestones in particular. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm thinking of is the there are classes that educate that teach critical thinking you know critical thinking classes that learn how to how to spot propaganda or you know other sort of manipulative language and and there's there needs to be something similar because what you're describing is that sort of online safety and protecting your privacy because there could be real world consequences or you know that that seemed that's a sort of protective measure that's different than how do you protect yourself from looking at pictures of beautiful people yeah. in beautiful places and thinking mm -hmm. and just feeling lousy about it, right? Mm -hmm. There's got to be some sort of strategy, some sort of education that says, you know, when you start to, and this is probably going to be my strategy, when they start to feel icky, mm -hmm. you know, f figure out what that feeling is and mm -hmm. teach them what that icky feeling is and then give them some ideas about what to do about it. You know, hey, listen, yeah. if you start to feel that way, it means it means you're in an unhealthy place. I mean, you're no longer looking at people's vacations. You're now comparing yourself and just feeling lousy. And that's the time when to disengage. Yeah, and I think the point also that you bring up is that there's a difference between sort of the push-pull aspect is that, you know, I control what I say about my own personal life. But when things end up in my feed, I'm mm -hmm. not really controlling that. I mean, I am somewhat in terms of by what I'm clicking, but it's ultimately the algorithm. It's really the company and the way they've designed the algorithm that really is controlling that piece that then I have now, I really have lost control. And I, I, that to me is a question, right? Is that, okay, let's say that I start off and I look at, you know, some of these hashtags about healthy eating. And the next thing I know, I've gone down this rabbit hole. How do I get out? Mm -hmm. I mean, is it just the function of, I have to click a whole bunch of different topics or you know how do i dig myself out i mean it, it was fascinating right that the guardian was able to get down a 
crazy dangerous rabbit hole within less than 24 hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, now what they don't say though is like, well, were they clicking on like, did they click on like 500 pieces of content in like 24 hours? Okay, right? So I'm not saying that it's necessarily that easy in a real scenario to get down that rabbit hole, right? But but that's part of what the I think that's part of how these these algorithms are designed, right? Is to send us to places that that just gives us more of what they think we want and sometimes we think we know what we want and sometimes we don't Mm -hmm. and i think that's the problem you know it's 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 the algorithm too and and we don't control any of that so it's a function of okay now i'm in a dangerous space now now what i can't it's not like i can block a comment it's not like you know how do i reset i guess that's the question you know is there a way to just say you know what take all my history and the algorithm and just dump it yeah. And let me start over again because I've learned that this is a place like those hashtags. I don't. What they should do is they should you should be able to block hashtags, right? And then block any downstream hashtags that link to those hashtags. Mm-hmm. That that would be an interesting way to to handle it. That's not feasible. I don't think. I don't. Well, it's not. No, it's not that it's not feasible. It's probably <laughs> not. Uh, it's probably not good for the bottom line. But um, that would be to me an interesting solution. So all you entrepreneurs out there, that's a million dollar idea right there. Yes. Somebody work on that for me, please. (laughs) So I'll just leave you with one last um, piece of information that came out of that testimony, which I thought was interesting. So meaningful social interactions is a key metric that Facebook uses to measure communication between family and friends. And, And Halligan, the whistleblower, said that the company has tied that metric to employees' bonuses. And they've chosen not to make changes that could cost Facebook money, right? So that really is what this is all about. This is, it's, it's all about money. And so again, it, it's a function of whether it's Facebook or Instagram or somebody else, you know, we're all dollars and cents to them. It's, I mean, that's an interesting conflict of interest, you know, that uh, somebody's going to pick their own bonus, choose their own bonus, right? Which is probably in line with the company's incentive, but it's certainly a conflict of interest with the user. Yeah, it's not necessarily what's right emotionally for the user, but that's, I mean, that's right. That's part of the game too, right? Is it's how, you know, how are we measured? And does the company put those measurements in place that reward keeping people healthy or does it do something else? And, you know, Facebook's not the only person that plays, you know, this particular game. Um, You know, they're a business, I get it, but some dangerous stuff going on. So, you know, just something to think about, right? Lots to think about. Yes, yes. If you'd like to support the podcast and hear more discussions around fatherhood, please subscribe and drop us a review. You can also head over to the website, papaifatigue.club. That's P-A-P-A-E-S-T-F-A-T-I-G-U-E.club to pick up some merch and use the discount code podcast for 10% off. If you have any questions, hit us up on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash papaifatigue. Thanks for listening.